um, there's a tension. There's, there's always been a tension throughout the history of religions between trying to renounce the world and trying to save it. And tension doesn't mean a contradiction, or it just means that inevitably there are these competing uh, competing needs. And, and you see this tension even in the Bhagavatam. Very clearly, for example, in the fourth canto, I'm sorry, the first canto, fourth chapter of Vyas, where Vyas was frustrated because he was trying to save the world, but he went too far and made too many concessions in the form of this Karmakanda literature. And therefore he himself was not happy. And so, um, or the terms Yukta Vairagya and Fogu Vairagya. Have you got those terms yet? No, no. Vairagya means detachment. Literally, dispassion. Vairagya, Vairagya. And then, Yukta, Yukta is like the word yoga, means connected. In other words, you're detached from the world, but you're still connected to Krishna. You're still yoga, yoga fire to Krishna. So that, uh, well, the definitions of these two kinds of Vairagya are given by Rupa Goswami. That when Mumukshubi, when people seeking their own salvation, when people seeking their own salvation, trying to save their own little spiritual necks, uh, renounce things, renounce the thing, which actually has a connection to Krishna. Which actually has a connection. It could be used for Krishna. Like, for example, a house could be used to make a, a temple or a preaching center. Or money could be used to print books or distribute prasadam. And so, prapanchakatayabhutya. Uh, the reason is they believe or they feel that these things are material. That's literally what that means. Thinking that these things are material, they renounce objects which actually should be used in, in Christian service. So that is, Rupa Goswami says, that vairagyam, or that detachment, or that renunciation, is falgu. It's uh, sort of like mediocre. It's mediocre detachment. Whereas, anasaktasivishayam, uh, a person who is not personally attached to the sense objects, like, I'm not attached to this building, or to this money, or whatever. But, yatharma, appropriately, upayunjata, engages those things appropriately, nirvanda, that nirvanda, that uh, non-attachment, Krishna sambande, but in connection to Krishna, Bhairagyam, Yukta Vairagya, you say, that is said to be Yukta Vairagya. It is a detachment which connects you to Krishna and connects other people to Krishna and connects the world to Krishna. And so, and yet it's, it's like a simple example. Let's say, well, a typical thing devotees would do, let's say if you're going fishing. No. But it's an example. Like, let, let, let's say someone's fishing and you've got such a big fishing well, Let's say a person, a fruit of has such a big fish on the line that instead of pulling the fish into the boat, they're pulled into the water. And so, that's the idea. We may grab a hold of a bunch of material energy, like I want to engage this for Krishna, but then what if you sort of are over your head? It's like too much for you, and the result is that you get engaged materially. Like someone, like a guy that thinks, okay, uh, you know, the more beautiful women that Take to Krishna consciousness, basically go around, spend all my time with beautiful women, you know, befriending them and hanging out with beautiful women. And that's nice, however, it probably will end up in that person, uh, as they say, going down to Davy Jones' locker. So, or 
Or then again, Ramananda Roy, because he was such a great devotee, he did actually engage all kinds of beautiful young women and was totally unaffected. So there's this need to renounce the world in the sense of giving up our selfishness, giving up... Well, we don't give up the world because, I mean, the world is just Krishna's energy. But we have to give up our attachment to the world and yet we have to engage the world. You can't just walk away from the world. So this can get into interesting issues like that we're trying to present Krishna consciousness to people. So to what extent we need to understand people to know what's going on in the world. Now, if you're a young devotee, you're just sort of like fresh out of the inferior energy of the Lord, then, of course, you know too much about the world. And you may want to forget some of it. But then again, as people have been in a religious institution for some time, they really, they can get out of touch with the world. Again, fortunately, in Gainesville, we have a very nice program, so that's, I think, Gainesville is a very good example of what it should be. But, but these issues are there. And, of course, nowadays, uh, well, it's interesting. There's a type of pride and almost bravado that, from the old Hare Krishna movement, like, uh, we just present this, this is our philosophy, this is our practice, people don't like it, then, you know, it's their tough luck, and we're not going to compromise. And then, but there are some things which are inflexible, and some things that are flexible. For example, our basic principles. If someone says, I don't like vegetarianism, that's okay. You know, we have a non-vegetarian day at our center. No, we're not going to do that. If someone says, I don't like Krishna, okay, well, you can come and just, you know, chant something else. I mean, some things were really, are, are, that's just who we are. We are the Hare Krishnas. We are, you know, that's who we are. We're Krishna's people. And we love Krishna, and we want to tell people about Krishna. But some other things are flexible you know, in terms of how you present things, in terms of dress, in terms of how you present yourself. So, I give the example, let's say there's a science of physics, and I may be talking, which is a science, and I may be talking about physics, but that doesn't mean that my presentation is scientific. So there is a spiritual science, Krishna consciousness, and I may be talking about it, that doesn't necessarily mean my presentation is scientific. So to present Krishna consciousness in a mature way, to take the time to really get to know people without becoming, without it becoming, for me, bad association. In other words, to what extent can I get to know someone and still remain very strong spiritually? At what point am I, is that relationship becoming kryptonite for me? At what point am I getting so involved with a, another person that actually it's taking me away from Krishna or at what point am I strong and I'm simply as any good doctor would do taking the time and trouble to figure out who the person is and what they need and of course the stronger we are in Krishna consciousness the more liberty we can take and the weaker we are the, the less and so the general principle is people have to keep themselves strong in Krishna consciousness. And the stronger we are, the more we can extend ourselves to people. Both among devotees and to non-devotees. I am in the sannyas order of life, as you can see from my dress. Every self-respecting sannyasi wears dresses. Yeah, so, but but I'm I'm in the renounced order of life, and uh, and yet I became very inspired. I believe by Krishna within my heart and Prabhupada by his instructions, direct instructions to me. I became very inspired to present Krishna consciousness in the form of literature. And therefore I had to 
study the art of writing literature. And this involved typical, typical sannyasa activities, like going to romantic movies. Anyway, it's a, I mean, I was at a point in my life where I really wanted to do that devotional service, and therefore I had to study. I had to study to see how to do it, and and I found that I found that Krishna, I mean, really protected me. I felt actually quite strong and happy in Krishna consciousness, and I had to. I mean, I, you know, I, I had my standards, and I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch a really indecent movie. You know, I mean, I have certain standards. It has to be a certain level of decency. But, um, but still, that was actually controversial for a lot of people. Like, oh my God, you know, he's a guru, sannyasi, and he, and he watches movies. And I knew exactly what I was doing, and I think it more or less worked. I, I mean, somehow or other, by Christmas mercy, I was able to produce something a book which a lot of, I think, critical, intelligent devotees are finding, are very inspired by. And so, you know, I just have to get it all ready and then we want to publish it. So, I had to do that for my service and I was very inspired to do it. And um, I, I felt I was very much with Krishna. Now, I could do that at a certain stage of my spiritual life. When I was a certain age, namely, gone. You know, at, at a certain age, at a certain stage of Krishna consciousness, I could do that. And I don't mean to say you have to be as ancient as me to study writing. But um, to me, it's a very powerful way of presenting Krishna consciousness. It's an ecstatic, powerful way to present Krishna consciousness, which hasn't really been utilized in the past, and so I'm happy to try to pioneer that. So... And of course, you can go too far on either side. You, you can get too contemporary and too adaptive and, and end up adapting yourself back into the material world. So it's, I mean, it is a science. And, and you have to monitor and have other advanced people monitor your vital spiritual signs. You know, how's your spiritual breathing? What's your spiritual pulse? But um, but ultimately there was a there was a, a spirit when Prabhupada was here. There was a he really got us going. It's interesting because in the early days of the movement, of course, Swamiji twenty six second Avenue, the early days of the movement, uh, Prabhupada was doing all the preaching. Of course, the devotees would tell other people about it, invite people. To Prophets programs. Then when Prabhupada left New York, they had to go out and do Haryana Sankirtan and they had to invite people and give lectures and so on. And uh, the movement had certain growth and success. And we, I remember around 1970, we kind of reached a certain plateau and Prabhupada and a certain kind of inertia in it. I mean, said in. I mean, inertia doesn't mean something's not moving. It just means it could be moving at a constant pace. You know, it's not really. There's no change, and so we were kind of gliding along at a certain pace. And of course, preaching, doing programs, and sankirtan. But Prabhupada wanted something more. He wanted something more. He wanted a more vigorous presentation of Krishna consciousness, and so. Uh, in a sense, this is a very exciting, interesting time because the world's changing, the world's a difficult place nowadays, and how do we how do we try to break through and really reach a lot of people? Again, the Gainesville Center is an excellent project, it's a good example, there's a lot of success in different ways. Holly is now also using her own ingenuity. But um, and all intelligence comes from Krishna. We really, we really should be dedicated in that way. That's the real. That's the real Krishna consciousness. I mean, you know, all Krishna consciousness is real Krishna consciousness. But in terms of, 
in terms of really understanding Prabhupada and really being on the fast track to ecstasy and knowledge and everything, we really have to be in that mood of, of we have to really be on Prabhupada's Sankirtan party. Prabhupada, for the moment, uh, he was just absorbed in trying to spread the Krishna consciousness movement. I mean, he was just absorbed in it. And we have to somehow get that spirit. We have to somehow get that spirit where whatever our propensities are, whatever, whatever varna and ashram we end up in, like whether someone is single or gets married, or has children or not, or whether, you know, what their particular vocation turns out to be, we really have to have that spirit that I want to change the world. Change we can believe in. So, that has to really be our spirit. You know, change to change the world. It's interesting because this new uh, man was just elected president. Apparently carries a little Hanuman around with him. And so, it's going to be interesting to see uh, to what extent this man really is dedicated to helping the world, to what extent he was dedicated to satisfying his own ambitions. And because it will come out in time. I'm certainly not accusing him of, of uh, anything, nor giving him all the credit prematurely either. And so it be interesting to see to what extent is this person really dedicated to helping people to what extent was it a mixed motive, like he was also dedicated to fulfilling his own desires and ambitions, and or if this person had genuine, uh, a genuine desire to help people and change the world, to what extent will that sincere desire survive all of the temptations and pressures of uh, heavy international politics. To what extent will this person follow high principles? To what extent will this person, I mean, you always have to you know, be quote-unquote practical. To what extent will pragmatism become the program? And the program being stay in power because there's a general idea that the world's better off if we're in power rather than our political opponents. And so by staying in power, that's ultimately for the best, but then life becomes all about staying in power because of some increasingly vague conviction that our being in power is good for the world, but you end up spending most of your time just staying in power. Or, you know what I mean? So, it's going to be interesting to see to what extent this individual uh, is strong enough to to really do the right things. And again, I'm not accusing him of, or, of, of being insincere or predicting a failure of his character, nor can I give him all the credit yet. We just don't know. We have to wait and see. So, um, I mean, all of us, the reason we gather together ultimately is to encourage each other, to remind each other what's most important, namely chanting Hare Krishna. And that simple, profound, amazing fact that there, there's this complete freedom. The more sincerely we chant Krishna's name, the more we can empower ourselves, the more any one of us, <coughs> any one of us can choose to chant Krishna's name with extraordinary sincerity and attention and actually become extraordinarily empowered. It's completely open. I mean, externally there's a pecking order. You know, I mean, ISKCON's an organized institution, has to be, otherwise you couldn't get anything done. And there's certain institutional, there's a certain institutional hierarchy and people, but, but actually there's, there's ultimate freedom. It's not like you're stuck in some corporation where it's like real idiosyncratic and you may do a good job but you're passed over in favor of someone else or something like that. In this world, there's always, you know, at times you feel like, whether it be you feel you didn't get the right grade in a class or 
you feel you passed over and a less qualified person was given some opportunity. You know, there's always those feelings in this world. But the nice thing about Krishna is he's actually perfect. Krishna's actually perfect. He's in our heart. He understands us perfectly. And he will place you exactly where you belong. And so any one of us, or every one of us, has the freedom to really surrender to Krishna through chanting, through sincere, dedicated chanting and service, we can surrender to Krishna and become empowered. And it totally doesn't matter what, what kind of, you know, how your body's gendered or varnered or ashramed. It's like, it's like stuff is irrelevant. I mean, it's relevant in the sense that Krishna will empower you in a way which is appropriate to the kind of body you have in this life. But there's no, there's no position which gives someone an automatic advantage, and there's no position which is an automatic uh, disadvantage. Any devotee in any kind of body, any gender, any varna, any ashram, any devotee can give themselves, give themselves to Krishna. Any devotee can devote themselves to Krishna and become extraordinarily empowered by Krishna, whether it's through literature, or rock and roll music, or fundraising, architecture, I mean, it, it, it's just like whatever. Cooking, it just, there's no, there's no hard and fast rules. If Krishna is pleased with you, and if your heart's in the right place, and you really want to spread Krishna consciousness, Krishna can just light you on fire. Krishna can just make you a beacon for the world. Krishna can, there's no limit to how much Krishna can empower you if you want to be empowered. And it's like, what else would you want to do? It seems like everything else is just kind of like a B-movie. And so why, because everyone's life is like a movie, so why just star in a, in a real B-movie that plays for like a week tertiary venues. You know, why do that when you could start a summer blockbuster? And and so your life, everyone's life, I mean I mean your life can be the greatest adventure in the world. Krishna consciousness is an adventure. People always write articles like how I came to Krishna consciousness and often have something like, I was searching for God and then I uh, tripped over a park bench, landed hip first in a garbage can, however, I found myself actually reading a very interesting article in a magazine that was there at the bottom of the garbage can. So, hey, people have all these stories. And, and one point that I make is that we're still looking for God. We just have a map now. You know, we just, we just have a map. We know what God is. We know what the road is. But but even the six Goswamis in that song, said Goswami Astika, He Radhe Bajadevi came. So they're, they're, I mean, they were pure devotees in the spiritual world and they were looking for Krishna. So, uh, we have to somehow or other find inspiration. We have to remember our original inspiration. We have to remember the beauty of Krishna. And just somehow or other we have to nurture and keep alive that inspiration. The inspiration to actually make spiritual progress. The inspiration to go forward. To come to a higher stage of consciousness. The inspiration to be empowered by Krishna. To serve. To make a difference in the world. I mean, that's what we should care about. Any questions on these points? <laughs> I was actually talking to Kalakamsa the other night, and um, and I told him that that I didn't know what I was gonna what I was gonna do for Krishna for Prabhupada, but that I knew that I, I would never be satisfied with just living in an average devotee existence. And then a few days later, I mean, whatever that is, I have no idea. So. A few days later, I was I read um, I read parts of Simple for the Simple, 
And um, and it was all about this Mataji who was just a simple devotee who was, I mean, everyone was convinced that she went back to Godhead when she left her body because she was so Christian conscious and just so, so wonderful. So I actually went to Kalakanta and I apologized for him for, for even saying that I didn't want to be an average devotee because there's no such thing that, that all devotees should be respected because they're so rare and no matter no matter what you do for Krishna, it's, it's a gem and that's, that's what you need to do for Krishna. But uh, I appreciate your humility. <laughs> At the same time, I think there was some truth in what you said. And of course, it's like my mother always said, Mata Uvacha, that um, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so if you felt in your own heart that there was some pride, then you know, it's good to purify yourself of that. At the same time, uh, there's something there's something true about what you said. And it's also true that every devotee is a gem. I actually said your your average run of the mill Grihasta. Oh. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> you can take that, Lonnie? Yeah. Hey, step into the octagon. What he told me, what he told me was that, um, yeah, he said exactly what you said, like, don't, um, don't ever feel like what what other people are doing for Krishna is is not enough or something like that. But don't let any any humility get in the way of what you want to do for Krishna. Well, frankly, what some people are doing isn't enough. I mean, there are people who are lazy. There are people who are dull. There are people who are selfish. And that's really true. I, I know it's like a double-edged sword because you don't want to offend people and you, right. want, you want to respect every devotee. And it's nice, especially for a young and like yourself. I mean, it's, it's very good to learn to respect all devotees. But at the same time, I, I think there's a balance. Because on the one hand, we should respect other people. We should, you know, be sincerely respectful. On the other hand, it can become, I mean, on, at one extreme, it can lead to being offensive and arrogant, and at the other extreme, it can lead to uh, justifying your own self-indulgence. Or if you could think that, well, whatever anyone does is fine, so why should I go really try? Because whatever I do is fine. And also, Rupa Goswami, again, I don't want to encourage you to criticize people or look down on people, especially devotees, but Rupa Goswami does say in the Upadeshamrita, which is one of our books, that if you if you see someone that doesn't really practice that seriously but is chanting Hare Krishna, with your mind, manasa adrieta, you should honor them with your mind. But dikshasti ched, if that person has initiation, and the idea of being actually following, you know, they're initiated and they're actually following, then pranativi, then you actually physically offer obeisances. And then he says, and if you meet someone who is really advanced, then, uh, take shelter of that person. And, and there, there are other hierarchies. Like if you meet someone that's less fortunate than you are in Krishna consciousness, try to help that person. If you meet someone about like yourself, then you should make friendship with that person. If you meet someone more advanced, try to serve them. Try to get their mercy. So, I mean, it is a very good policy to respect all Vaishnavas and all of the entities, actually. I and mean, that's definitely true. I don't want to in any way discourage you from respecting everyone because that is an important principle. At the same time, there are good and bad examples. And, um, I mean, if you felt in your heart that you should apologize, and then, then I mean, you, you know yourself, and it may be that you made your original statement in a way that had some pride or whatever, and something that you didn't feel was really pure. And so that's, and so it's, it's praiseworthy on your part that you went and you tried to and correct that. And we should respect all devotees. 
And I mean, and there is a sense in which everyone is doing what they can. But, um, and it's also true that you can make too many demands or too severe demands on yourself and just ultimately end up harming yourself by placing unrealistic, unnatural demands upon yourself. So, at this, and ultimately, I think what we have to do is um, yeah, like Prabhupada used to say, hate the sin, not the sinner. We do have to distinguish between those who are more advanced and less advanced. Because without doing that, we can't really follow Rupa Goswami and Prabhupada and the Bhagavatam in terms of forming appropriate relationships with people at different levels. And uh, I guess it's um, it's like you're an athlete. That's right. You like it's like you have to find the right level of workout for yourself. Like like you're doing it, say like Pilates. Then do you still do that? A little bit. A little bit. What do you do now? Terrible again. What is that? I don't know what that is. I'll show you sometime. It's like sort of like martial arts mixed with some other things. Oh. Anyway, turbo jam or whatever. It's not to put on toast, right? Yeah, I guess it's like whatever we do, whatever kind of exercise we do then um, you have to find the right level. If you work out too much or try too hard, you can hurt yourself or if you do too little. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's very good to respect everyone. And we should respect the fact that everyone in their own way is trying, I suppose. Everyone in their own way is doing what they can. And yet, um, yet we have to have criteria. We have to know what's right and wrong. So sort of balance. And there's a way to respect someone, sincerely respect someone, yet we know we shouldn't follow that particular example. And we have to learn from the mistakes of others. Unfortunately, it's true, but I mean, if I see someone that, let's say, was a little reckless in their spiritual life or committed offenses or did this or did that, then they you know, end up in trouble. And we have to learn from that. I mean, even the Bhagavatam does that. Even the Bhagavatam gives stories of people, I mean, sort of exemplary fall-downs. Or people, redemption stories. And so, what do you say? I, I guess there's a balance. I mean, we have to, because we don't want to be arrogant, we don't want to be unkind or envious or, because Krishna will tolerate that if we're just sort of arrogant look down on other people, especially devotees. At the same time, there's one point and another. I mean, I feel, somehow I feel like your original idea, it's not like completely bad. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. In other words, the idea that I don't want to simply breed for Krishna. You know, I don't want to just be, you know, a housewife for Krishna. I actually want to do more. I want to really contribute something seriously. You know, because you have God-given abilities, you have to use them for Krishna. You know, you're Krishna's little turbo jammer. And you even have other abilities. So, so the idea, I mean, even women in the material world sometimes say, like, sure, I may get married, I may have kids, but I want to do something. I want to, you know, do something in the world, make a mark in the world, change the world. And so that idea, I, I think you have to find within yourself the pure, the pure, humble form of that, rather than just reject the whole idea. Seems like I'm just afraid of, of getting married and just falling into this sort of comfortable, slightly materialistic sense of enjoyment is 
I mean, I still, you know, I'm still materialistic, but I aspire to be so much less materialistic, and, and then I'm afraid of getting married just over time, just becoming really comfortable and and not not stretching stretching myself or from Prabhupada. That's a rational fear. And, and again, you can still be kind and respectful towards people that are kind of in that situation. And you can, you know, sincerely respect them. And yet, you can feel that I, I can do more. And I, and I have to do more. So, again, you don't want to go to either extreme. One extreme would be just arrogance, unkindness, you know, looking down at people. But another extreme would be, I'm so respectful that I just stop making any kind of distinction. So the desire, yeah, the desire to do something in the world, to do something to really make a contribution to Prabhupada, I mean, if we lose that desire, we really should, we really need to keep that desire cultivated. Keep it alive. And, I mean, frankly, you can't, we have to be respectful. Again, it is a balance. It's a harmony. We have to be respectful toward everyone, but you can't be blind. To be respectful doesn't mean to be blind and to ignore what you're really seeing. And there is a simple fact that there's a huge community 20 miles down the road with hundreds and hundreds of people that still haven't figured out a mission. And that may not even be as bad as the fact that it may not even bother some of them. They may not even notice there's something wrong with the picture. To have hundreds of Vaishnavas who have received the mercy of Prabhupada and no mission. There's no preaching project, no mission project. There's no, it's just people getting by, living their lives. What's the mission? There is something wrong with that. They're good people. Many of them are actually excellent devotees. And we should respect them. I mean, they deserve to be respected as Vaishnavas. But there is something wrong. And there are traps. And, and we can learn what the traps are by looking around, keeping our eyes open and seeing. You know, I've learned so much by seeing for what happened to certain sannyasi godbrothers who got themselves in difficulty and I... And you can't help but notice. And we have to learn. Unfortunately, we have to learn from others' mistakes as well as from our own mistakes. So, so there has to be a balance where you do respect everyone, but at the same time you have your eyes open. And if there's something in you, in your heart, that really wants to do more, wants to change the world. Do something that really make the world a better place for you know, in Krishna consciousness. Then that spark is, is, is a very, very precious thing. That's like a treasure. And that's something you should never lose. You really have to keep that little flame alive in your heart. I mean, in a sense, one of the reasons that there is a Gainesville Priestess that are going so nicely is because Kalakanta, who's a Grihasta, took on that responsibility. And he was willing to give up some of the comforts and time of a say, ordinary household life in order to help other people. A year ago, I, I told him whenever there's an opportunity or if there's a room open, I want to move into the temple. And he was like, well, there's no accommodation for women here, unfortunately, but maybe we could talk about sponsoring you to go to Bhaktivedanta um, College. And then within like six months, we would come up with this idea that we had to accommodate our whole program and everything. That's great. Yes. So you know people who are coming to the temple and are attracted to um, maybe 
are attracted to like Indian ethnicity as far as like clothing and yeah. What specifically like women coming and they just they like to wear Indian sari and it's like fun for them. Should we encourage this behavior? <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe in treating adults like adults. And so if that's something that they like, they want to do it, I wouldn't pressure them like you have to do it because if not, you're not a good devotee or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if they that's just what they want to do, they enjoy it, then yeah. If another woman says, I think I'd rather dress another way, then yeah, I, I just think that, I think what we should insist upon is decency. And, uh, you know, there's more than one way to skin a decent. So, yeah, so I just believe that, yeah, let people find, you know, find the, the, the way that, that works for them. So we, we have, obviously, certain things are general, like we all chant Krishna, we offer our food. And, and so as far as little details, like, I mean, I wouldn't present to a woman on a dress. But I think... Yeah, I mean, I mean, we could say, yeah, obviously, we should dress decently. We should be civilized. But it's up to them. They should do it for the right reason, because it's something which helps them in their spiritual life, rather than because of pressure, like, you don't do it, then you're not a good person or not a good devotee. Oh my God. I know. What? 
is the world coming to? <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can go up and get the articles and, and actually like pass them to the men and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, so what I was wondering was even even I've, I've talked to one of the um, devotees in it, one of the male devotees in the temple who said, "Yeah, if that happened anywhere else, they would stop it." They would no, it, it, no, no, it's not true. In Atlanta, we did that also. Well, I'm just wondering. Um, there's more. No, I think there's lots of temples now. I went to a last one, like Prabhupada. Is this a parents' day or a parents' day? I think it's just a parents' day. Then a woman was offering the RT to Prabhupada. There's more and more. I think more and more gender equality. It's not dark ages right now. Well, I'm, I was just wondering, like, you know, I've never, I've never. I've only been to Alachua and to um, Zimbabwe and seen the, the programs when it's going on, but I would have never thought of New Vrindavan that I could just go up and grab something and pass it to the men or, you know, something like that. So I'm just wondering because... Or take it and pass it to the women. I personally believe very strongly, and of course, when we go to a particular temple, we have to respect whatever their customs are. We can't you have to, I guess, another issue of respect. But as far as what I think it should be, I think that uh, absolutely we should, there should be no discrimination. Men are not superior to women, and women are not inferior to men, and uh, they're just all spirit souls. And uh, there, there should be chastity, but not discrimination. In fact, Prabhupada always taught that you know, we should protect them. And so any normal, sane father or mother I mean, you're a father, uh, if you take your son to a temple, don't you put him in the front? You know, like, first you take it, you know, isn't it? Isn't that what parents do with their children? If you love your children, you want them to get it first. So if men are protecting women, and they really are like family, you'd want the women to go first. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, protecting women is something which is done with love, not with arrogance. And I think that's where it should go. That's where this should go. To a point where where it's just like a family and everyone is just participating and there's no discrimination. There's no sense. I mean, frankly, women are not better than men. Women are not afraid of women. Everyone's just who they are. And you know, the fact that someone is a man or has a, is a, is, has a male or female body really tells us nothing about their level of Krishna consciousness. It just it just tells us about their physiology, not about their Krishna consciousness. So I think again, society of, of respect. People there should be one of respect, respect all the devotees. And I don't think in any way women should be put down because they are souls and female bodies. Certain activities may be more appropriate for men or women, just based on nature. I mean every scientific study ever done shows that you know, male men and women are different. And so I think it's one thing to say we should. I mean, in general, the point is, if it's natural, if, if women are naturally a certain way or men are naturally a certain way, then my view is just respect everyone, encourage everyone, and it'll just water seats at some level, end up where it's supposed to be anyway. If it's natural, that's where it'll go. But in general, yeah, there should be, we should respect people. It's funny, they, they, use, they say like the Mataji thing, which probably actually didn't use so much. But, uh, I mean, for someone's mother, I mean, when I was growing up, my mother was, a, you know, she was above me. You know, your mother, you're not, your mother is, is authority. So if someone's actually your mother, then you should, you don't cut in line in front of your mother. It's like, what are we talking about? So yeah, I think it should be, um, we need to cultivate a society where there's mutual respect. So how do we go about doing that? Though? Well, in, in games, so, well, it it depends on where you are. Like you can't, if you go to a particular temple or something where they don't really have that, then it's just sort of like tough luck. You know, you have to tolerate it. You can talk to a lot of temples. Or change, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of temples were like that. 
haven't seen anything different than that actually. Then what? They respect the Mataji's support side by side yeah. with the devotees. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's much better now. People yeah. people are mature now, and it's not... Class. And so it's not like everywhere you go, it's just like out-of-control male chauvinism. That's just a few places. So it's going in the right direction. Doesn't there seem to be a conflict? Because in India, that's kind of how man Well, no, in India, actually, they put the women first. If you go to any Indian temple, the women all, you know, like they're like... They look like they're all like roller derby veterans or something. You know, they go to the front seat. Oh, and uh, actually, it's 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 in it's in certain Iskon temples in Mayapur where they don't get it. What? Why? Because honestly, because a lot of the people there are sort of people who come from villages or aren't very educated. They have this sort of somewhat backwards culture. The thing that drives me nuts is when the healing is passed to all the men and they even go to the point of like leaving the temple room, going to the kitchen, passing it to all the all the men in the kitchen, and then they'll come back and then it's offered for the women. It's like Yeah, well I would say it's it's I would say that's just a case of ignorance. Yeah. To me it's just yeah, I'm going to say what I really think is true. I think it's just ignorance. I think it's just foolishness. And there are, you know, the movement started when we're, you know, it was a young movement, and the leaders back then were just young men, and they just, you know, so we still have some things that are left over just from a time when ISKCON was under the management of very young people, very inexperienced and mature people. And so we're gradually maturing and correcting things. It's, it's going in the right direction, that's the good news. <laughs>